Chapter Four of White Rose of Weary Leaf by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four. Amy did just remember the sum of money which Sir Mervyn had told her was lying ready for her in a drawer of an escritoire in the study, but as matters fell out, she was never able to ascertain the sum of his generosity and forethought. Mr. Johnson, somehow or other contrived to make it impossible for her to enter the room again twenty-four hours after the chief's decease he said i should always be dished by somebody she thought ruefully and he's done it first why on earth didn't he give the money to me in my hand before he took the stuff that finished him she left the house in cavendish square as soon as it was possible to do so leaving no address and went into lodgings in kensington she heard afterwards through sir mervyn's solicitor who had seen her for a moment and taken a fancy to her a rather interesting fact sir mervyn had directed in his will that a substantial sum should go to mr johnson on condition that he married miss stevens miss stevens laughed and told him that there was no fear of that and she was right mr johnson preferred to go without the money to marrying miss stevens that was his testimony in regard to the events that had taken place during his stay under Sir Mervyn's roof with the young lady in question. A literary man and a bohemian, he had yet enough worldly wisdom and masculine vanity to set a higher value on himself than was implied in his willingness to marry Miss Mervyn's. Amy realized what he thought of her, and considered it natural under the circumstances. Sir Mervyn was at no time discreet and in Amy's case had taken no pains to protect a secret that did not exist, or to safeguard a reputation he had not cared to endanger. He would consider, if he thought about it at all, that their entirely innocent relations called for no such elaborate precautions as those he had never tired of taking in the interests of his frail victims of the great world. His valiant effort to provide his plain protégé at one and the same time with money and a husband had failed as any plan so stagey was sure to do and amy thought she had some right to be annoyed she had however no time to brood over the little windfall she had missed she must get something else to do at once she had not too much cash on hand her mother's claims on her had lately been heavy she must find a lucrative berth a more respectable one if possible than the last and find it soon meantime she dressed nicely she fed herself properly she did not dare to go about sharp-nosed hungry-eyed with flat-heeled dragging feet she realized well enough that the battle is to the strong and situations to the smiling she could not however hope to keep up the sly appearance of prosperity for as long as the frank confession of indigence she made one good meal a day but avoided the aerated bread-shop, that pitfall of the female impecunious. She did not care for set luncheons, but found an apple and a biscuit in the middle of the day enough to sustain life and looks on. She liked to eat out of doors, in churchyards or the park, where the world-worn faces of the loafers and the spiced prettiness of the society women alike amused her, and gave her substance for reflection with her dessert. She did not smoke, she did not require soothing, and could not afford cigarettes. Besides, her teeth were too pretty to spoil. 
she passed through kensington churchyard one day about two o'clock and the suffusion of colour produced by much red baize warned her that a wedding was imminent amy had a weakness for weddings she meant if ever she entered the bonds of matrimony to be married according to the church ceremony in its entirety not so much on religious as on artistic grounds she considered it pretty and poetical and old-fashioned she meant to have all the pomp and circumstance that combine to leaven and smooth over the ratification of what constituted at least a very solemn bargain in her eyes the voice that breathed o'er eden should breathe over her vergers should bow and scrape and as soldiers march into battle led by caparisoned officers and to the sound of trumpets so should her small onset into the arena of life be heralded and glorified with the ribstone pippin she had just bought deftly concealed in the palm of her hand she approached the proud verger friends he questioned amy gratefully accepted the tacit compliment to her attire but modestly disclaiming his suggestion passed into a humble rearward pew where she was able to consume her luncheon skin and all she had polished it first with her handkerchief while the church filled dreary prim-lipped persons of both sexes wandered in sandwiched between frivolous society dames and squires the latter were a little cowed perhaps by the dimness and the unwanted surroundings all were marshalled by beautiful young men with white buttonholes into this side of the aisle or that according to a social system well understood of the temporary guides amy understood too that it was according as they claimed relationship with this party to the alliance or the other and furthermore that a fair division of country and townspeople filled the right and left aisles respectively it's either a country gentleman marrying a london girl or the other way round thought amy for one side is rather smart and fast i seem to see a man i saw once at sir mervyn's and the other side is dowdy and well-born if not well-bred the organ burst into music and the little white chorister boys passed up the aisle amy beamed with quiet pleasure behind them a pretty tall girl with rather a peevish expression came ambling slowly along walking at the only pace a heavy train permits on the arm of a fond and rubicund old gentleman she attained the rail where the bridegroom invisible to amy through palms and bonnets had been long waiting for her and the ceremony began although amy could not even by craning catch a glimpse of the man yet she could hear him well and a wave of uninterested recollection crossed her as she heard him clearly promise to support edith isabel through thick and thin generally according to the terms of the service she wondered whom it was that this edith isabel was in her turn promising inaudibly to stick to the point was solved for her when the newly married couple passed on their way down the aisle to begin their new life she realized then it was the man's second venture he was tall and large in make his lips were closed in a firm napoleonic pout his grey eyes were remote retiring bored they said as usual i would rather be with my dog my books my pipe it was her old master amy could have touched him 
she put down her veil and followed the smart people out. "'He won't love this one any more than he did the other,' was Amy's reflection next day. She had turned in at a free library to find a paper and con the details of the ceremony. I wonder why he troubled to marry again. That longed-for son, I suppose. And my Mrs. Dan's death, I must have missed that somehow. Her eyes rested again on the brief statement. George Jeremy Marion Dand to Edith Isabel, only daughter of Sir Flaxley Medrow. The man with the whiskers! the bedizened mamma in the front pew. The new Mrs. Dand was the daughter of that woman who had only kept in society, as it were, by the skin of her teeth, and through Sir Mervyn's sturdy denials of facts that everyone knew to be facts. It seems to me that I might have said that I was friends after all, thought Amy. Friends of both, for after all, if it hadn't been for me, Sir Mervyn wouldn't have gone into the witness-box at all and I suppose Dulce was bridesmaid, one of that hideous, shy, lumping six. I didn't recognize her, but how is one to tell, the ridiculous way they get nice, inoffensive girls up? Dulce as a Romney. Among the list of guests at the reception was a Mrs. Guy Riven, who had presented a silver Queen Anne posset cup. Coles to Newcastle, thought Amy, remembering Jeremy Dan's craze for old silver but I expect he will discover half of them to be fake and exchange them. He's all for business. Mrs. Riven's name would not have interested Amy any more than any other one on the string of well-known and fashionable names, who graced the breakfast in palace gardens with their presence, if it had not been that in the same issue of the Kensington News, Mrs. Guy Riven happened to be advertising for a companion. The Dans interested her slightly. Mrs. Riven was a friend of the Dans. Amy's spirit of adventure was uppermost as she put her veil on straight and looped it under her chin, buttoned every button of her new pair of gloves, and went to see if she would do for Mrs. Riven. That lady's apparently faint connection with some of the characters out of one of her old lives took away from the strangeness a little. End of chapter 4 Recorded by Lisa Reichert